I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Rick Henderson and welcome to the latest edition of the Pocket Lint podcast. This week, I'll be talking with Pocket Lint's own VR expert, Adrian Willins, about MetaConnect, the annual virtual reality specific event run by the owner of Facebook. He'll be discussing the launch of Meta's new headset and several software and gaming announcements. Then later, Cam Bunton will join me to review the Google Pixel Watch, the company's first Wear OS smartwatch under its own brand. First though, back to Adrian and VR. So Adrian, tell us all about MetaConnect. So the most interesting thing that came out of MetaConnect was the reveal of the MetaQuest Pro, which is essentially Meta's answer to the HTC Vive Focus 3 from what I can understand. So it's aimed more at businesses and sort of high-end devices, and that hence the price tag, because it's $1,499. Shipping on uh, 25th of October, so real- relatively soon. And it was interesting for a number of different reasons. They've reduced the size of the thing, so it's smaller than the MetaQuest 2, for example. Uh, they've shrunk the lenses by about 40%, so 40% thinner. They talked a lot about the balance of it and it being more comfortable to wear and easier on the eye. But then they also talked about the performance of it. So they said, for example, that it's got four times the resolution and it has 37% more pixels per inch than the Quest 2. But they didn't actually detail much of the specs. And even if you look at the official pages now, you can't actually see the specs in a great deal of depth. So it'll be interesting to see when they finally release all that information. I think it should be pretty interesting for a number of reasons. One of the most interesting things that came out of it was um, the controllers have been overhauled. So previously with the Quest 2, for example, the tracking was done via some lights in the controllers and then tracked via the headset. So the headset would look for the lights in the controllers and it would monitor those. But now they've actually built um, Snapdragon processors into each of the controllers and they've enhanced that to the point that it's meant to do 360-degree tracking a lot more accurately from each controller. But they've also built in little things, so it has like a stylus built into the bottom of the controller now, so you can actually just you can plug a little stylus into it, and you can use it like a pen to do creative things in there. There was a lot of talk around the metaverse and allowing people to come together within the metaverse wearing these headsets for meetings and creative purposes. It's all about being productive in a business environment, but also just being able to get together in that sort of space, which is probably going to be pretty interesting for a lot of people. It also uses the new um, Qualcomm Snapdragon XR2 Plus processor chipset, and they were saying how basically they've worked with Qualcomm on that and for the advanced technology for it. So there's a lot of advancements here, but it doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to be aimed at the same sort of audience as the Quest 2. There has been rumors of there being a Meta Quest 3 in the works, which we wrote about a while back. 
Uh, that wasn't mentioned during Connect, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. That's more likely to be the next follow-up to the Quest 2 and probably more affordable than the MetaQuest Pro. As I said, it's quite a high-end device. I mean, it's sort of priced in a similar sort of price bracket to HTC Vive Pro 2, for example. But you're looking well over a grand for it. It's It's a lot of money, but it does potentially deliver a good performance. It also comes with its own charging base station now for the controllers and the headsets. So I've put a lot of thought into a lot of the small details. To be able to just, you know, put the headset down on a charger when you're not using it. It's a nice touch to not have to worry about plugging cables in and everything else. So it'd be good to see what it's like. I mean, all that stuff um, is... It will probably be consumer related at some point. So it, this kind of these kind of features do bleed down into other products in time. Um, this headset does seem very high end right now, but maybe, like you say, the MetaQuest Three will borrow some of those features. Yeah, they've got a lot of interesting advancements which should, you know, pay off. The gamers and your average consumers as well so it has built-in sort of face tracking so that they can accurately track things like the you know movement and expressions of your face um and put that into the metaverse and obviously that could be used in games as well so a lot more engaging social experiences potentially in the long term as well so it's really interesting to see what meta's doing with all these different devices and they showed off like prototypes a few months ago now which was really interesting to see all the various different ones but this looks a lot thinner and like a lot more portable potentially or a lot more lightweight and perhaps more comfortable to wear. But they also talked about how it's got an open sort of view to it. So the peripheral vision, you can see more of the world around you, but then you can clip in some bits onto the side of the headset to make it more immersive and block out light and things like that. So they're also sort of making it into a mixed reality headset as well as a virtual reality one. So you can still work in the world, but also then have this headset on. So some interesting things happening there. And yeah, like you said, that technology probably will be pulled into the Quest 3 as well. So The other thing I noticed at MetaConnect was um, quite a quite a big um, push into games. Um, I mean, obviously, the, uh, the AR and VR industry is about to become quite gamified even more so. In, in soon what with the PlayStation VR 2 headset coming early next year as well. Um, but they did seem to sort of like dwell on games a little bit and there was a, a deal with Xbox. Yeah, they've talked a lot about how successful Quest 2's been and how many games that sold and other things and they focused on that quite a bit. And it has been as well with PC gamers as well because it was uh, the hardware reviews from Steam showed that a lot of people are now using Quest 2 despite the recent price rise, it still seems to be really popular. So they showed off a number of games that are coming to the Quest 2, including uh, Iron Man in VR, which would be pretty interesting for a lot of people, and then some of the games that have been popular. So Among Us was one of the ones that was shown off, which was really popular for a while, some time back, but it's now being made into a VR version. So that should be pretty interesting for people that are into that because obviously you can now go and betray your friends but in a much more immersive way <laughs> that's what the metaverse was built for betraying yeah. friends um but yeah the xbox angle was that um you will be able to play game pass on the MetaQuest 2 which means that you'll be able to sign up with your cloud gaming um subscription 
and play any of the, I think it's about 300 plus games now, um, on using the MetaQuest 2. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you'll be able to play them in VR. What it, what it actually means is that you'll be sat in a virtual games room, if you like, with a massive screen, 2D screen in front of you, virtual 2D screen in front of you, and then you get to play your games and the Xbox controller will work with the MetaQuest 2. But what I'd like to ask you, Adrian, is um, have you ever done any of those sort of like 2D experiences or is that kind of like pointless in VR? I've actually, I have actually done that a while back. It was with... Um one of the Windows Mixed Reality headsets. But uh, you, playing games in there, like you said, you get a much bigger screen. And that's one of the sort of unsung things about the Quest 2 is the fact that, I mean, for just viewing content, for example, Netflix and Amazon both have apps that allow you to load up you know, those streaming services and just watch TV and films, whatever, on a much bigger screen. And there's something to be said of that sort of private viewing experience, but also having a screen that's, much bigger than the TV you've got at home, like 100 inches potentially or bigger, depending on <laughs> what you're doing with it. And then there's other apps as well, like um, Big Screen and some other ones that I can't remember the name of right now, but they basically let you sort of pull in virtual desktop views so you could just connect up to your PC. And then, like you said, you can play games that aren't really VR games and you won't suddenly turn them into VR games, but you have a much more personal experience and perhaps a more immersive one because it blocks out the surrounding light and you've given you're given a screen that's all for you and obviously you're blocking out the world around you so perhaps it's an interesting way of doing it it certainly shows the flexibility of these things and all the different things that you can do with them i suspect um playstation vr will do exactly the same well the first playstation vr headset did do the same uh, in which you could play ps4 games on a big virtual screen within the playstation vr um, so it kind of expanded. If you didn't have many PSVR-specific games, you could still use your PSVR to do other things. I also did very similar. I seem to remember doing it on my Oculus Quest many years ago um, where I watched, I think it's when they just launched Netflix and they had it in a an almost sort of like a log cabin where you had like a, a roaring fire in one corner and a massive cinema-style screen in the other. And you could just sit down and watch watch thing. But my problem with that is that um, I've always found VR to be a very a mildly claustrophobic experience when sitting for a very long time stationary. It's great when you're actually moving about and doing things in VR, which is what it's kind of designed for. But if you're just sitting down still, I found it. I find it a little claustrophobic, a little too hot. I suppose, though, the new headsets like the Pro will be so much lighter and easier to use that uh, that that's quite a different experience. Yeah, hopefully it'll be interesting to see. One of the things I push that isn't really sung that much, but about the social side of that. So, you know, as well as sitting down to watch Netflix on your own, you can also pull other people in and you can have a viewing party together where you could sit with friends that you perhaps live a long way away or family members and then all just watch a film together rather than you know missing out on that experience or trying to do it on your tv perhaps a little bit more immersive where you can see their avatars and obviously once we get to this stage of having more engaging or interesting avatars in the metaverse that might be even more interesting if you're into doing that sort of experience i think my last thing for you though is uh 
Well, considering this MetaConnect, and it did seem like a bigger deal than than some of the other ones we've had in the past. Um, where are we with AR, with VR at the moment? Where where is virtual reality? We're always waiting for it to kick on, but it always sort of like seems like a, a like Mark Zuckerberg seems to be the only one really talking about it. Well, we've got. Um... There's that new recent headset from ByteDance, the Pico, which Luke's reviewing soon, I believe, which he, he said is very comparable to the Quest, superior, but also that similar sort of logic in that it's a standalone headset with its own store where you can get games. And it's reasonably affordable as well. I think I looked and it was just under £400. So it's pretty affordable for that headset. And I think, although unfortunately, obviously the MetaQuest Pro is pretty high end, I think if they do release the Quest 3 at some point, and it's a similar sort of price point to the Quest 2. It's remarkably affordable, and it's nice to see more companies getting involved in creating affordable headsets. I mean, I don't know how much a PSVR 2 is going to be, but the fact that they're even making one suggests that it's been successful enough and that people are interested enough in VR to keep going. And also, as I said, with the Steam hardware survey showing that a lot of people are using Quest 2 via Steam shows there's a lot of PC gamers that are buying a Quest 2 headset and then linking it up with their PC to play Steam VR games as well. So obviously there's a wide audience of your normal people that are buying Quest headsets to do (laughs) things and then the more sort of serious gamers like myself that want to plug in their headset and play a variety of experiences including things like Half-Life Alex and other things that are only really available on Steam rather than via the Quest store specifically. So I think I think it is getting a lot better and a lot more accepted. Uh, I think it will require more affordable headsets to keep coming, though, because something like the Vive Pro 2, the the Vive Focus 3, those expensive high-end headsets that seem to be more adopted by businesses, and it looks like the the MetaQuest Pro is aimed at the same sort of level. It's going to be more business-focused than your average consumer. But you know, the fact that there are companies other than Meta that are releasing standalone headsets shows there's some sort of need for it and people are into it so now straight on with our review and our own cam bunton has been playing with google's first wear os smartwatch built in-house the pixel watch so he joins us now to furnish us with his thoughts so cam tell us all about the pixel watch so i guess the the general sense that i get from the watch and i you could probably read it if you read my review it's in the title but it, it feels like this is the first competitive like a real apple watch sort of experience but for android users so you get that i'm I'm presuming you've used an apple watch before Um, but you get that fluidity in the software you get all the interactivity when it comes to notifications and messages and apps you get payments on your wrist and you get decent fitness tracking now because fitbit's on board so yeah it's a it's a really good all-round experience um, what I first noticed about it, and certainly I haven't used one, but I have, uh, but having seen it, um, is that it kind of also is like a rounded Apple Watch esque device. It doesn't look doesn't look like other smartwatches on the market. Certainly the round ones. No, I think you're right, and I think that's very deliberate. There's, I mean, there's a lot of things that that help that appearance in that they've obviously got that really extreme curve of the glass on the edges of the round display that curves all the way around the body of the watch. And then the watch strap itself actually fixes into the body 
rather than have a traditional sort of lug system where you can just snap on your own bands. It sort of locks into into place with its own proprietary mechanism. And so uh, essentially, if you wanted to change bands, is that an easy process? I mean, at the mo- as it stands at this point in time, your only real solution is to go with Google's own bands that it sells in store. And obviously, they do lots of different styles and finishes. But looking at the mechanism and looking at how it's been designed, I can't imagine it's going to be too long before we start seeing third parties create basically adapters that turn it from this mechanism into just a standard lug fitting. So I, I think give it a couple of months and you'll be able to fit any band you want onto it again. Okay, so let's look at the software experience. Obviously, it's Wear OS uh, and the latest version. But um, is there anything sort of like any interesting, unique bells and whistles that come with this particular watch? Um, I don't think it's necessarily the features. I just think it's the – I mean, Wear OS has had a lot of similar features in the past, but I think it's more about the fluidity and the responsiveness and how smooth it all works. It feels a lot more optimized than previous versions that you might have seen on Fossil watches or any other fashion brand watches that use Wear OS or even – the recent Samsung watches, it just feels a little bit cleaner, a little bit more polished and smoother. Generally, it's just a really nice software experience like we've seen on the on the Pixel phones with Android 13. So how does it work in operation? Um, there doesn't seem to be many buttons on it. So how, how do you operate it? So you've got a touchscreen, obviously. Uh, again, that's aided by the curves. You sort of get this feeling of it being really smooth and rounded like the Apple Watch on the edges. Um, but also you've got those two buttons on the side. Uh, there's a crown that rotates and also presses inwards like the Apple Watch. And then there's another second button that you can long press or double press if you want to quickly load up your contactless card or launch Google Assistant or anything like that. You can use the buttons and obviously the touchscreen as well. Um, well, one thing that Apple does is it, it offers different sizes of Apple Watch mm-hmm. uh, for different types of wrist sizes and, and people. Um is the Pixel Watch one size fits all? Well, that's, that seems to be how Google has approached it at the moment, yes. Um, it's only 41 millimeters, which for my own wrist is a bit too small. I'm used to wearing quite big, quite large watches. And on my arm, I think it looks just that tiny bit too small. Um, but yeah, but for a lot of other people, I think that 41 millimeter size is going to be perfect because we've seen in the Wear OS market in particular, most manufacturers in the past have done quite big watches and on smaller arms or thinner wrists, they do look comically large. So I think Google has seen that and gone, there's a market here for a smaller watch uh, and that's what it's done. But then that has negatively impacted it in terms of battery performance because there's only a certain amount of space for battery and the battery will only last about 24 hours in my experience. So does it have an always-on display? It does, yeah. You can switch it on. I mean, again, that will negatively impact the battery <laughs> life. So depending on on what you want to use your watch for, um, you might want to keep that switched off. But it works a similar way to the Apple Watch one where it just sort of refreshes once every minute rather than having that second hand ticking and it goes a bit dimmer. But you can generally see it all day if you want to. Um, I think the big question here is that um, obviously there is a, a massive competitor to this, not just Apple Watch itself, but also the Samsung Galaxy Watch 5, yes. which you've also used. Um, which would you personally prefer? So to, oh, that's a difficult question. I think 
there are there are benefits and advantages to both. I think in terms of like in terms of a user experience, in terms of how nice it is to use and and what it looks like and the design, I would go with the Pixel Watch. But then the Samsung has much better battery life, and that I think for a lot of people is going to be a deal clincher. I also think the fact that the Samsung comes in three different models with three different sizes, with one of those being the Pro model that can last sometimes three or four days on a full charge. Um, I just think Samsung has more in terms of options there for people. So for a lot of people, I think Samsung is going to be an easy choice, but I think the Google experience is very nice still. The Pixel Watch is reasonably priced though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a it's a bit more expensive than the, the Samsung, uh, but then what you get with that is a stainless steel watch. It's made out of slightly more premium materials, and that you get that more polished feel from it as well. So it, whether you determine the value based on the design and that fluidity and smoothness, or whether you determine value based on how many features it has, that I think will just determine whether you want to buy it or not. I think the last thing that I would say is do you think that uh, this is just the start of uh, a new sort of era for Google, uh, a start of a new product range? And if so, could you see it um, progressing to more sizes, chunkier watches, that kind of thing? I mean, personally, I very much hope so. I think they're onto something really good with this as a first model. You can definitely tell it's like a first-generation product, as nice as it is. But I definitely, I would definitely see it as being a promising device for the future yes especially now that they've got fitbit on board and all the tracking and the fitness data and stuff that comes with that uh, which is something that they haven't had in the past because google fit has been pretty limited um i think it's a very very promising product and i genuinely hope that they bring it back for a second generation next year so actually would you also consider this the best fitbit yet oh that's a tough one Maybe. I mean, maybe not, because I think for people with Fitbits, they want something that will last maybe a week on a charge, and they can wear it every night to sleep without worrying that the battery's going to be dead when they wake up in the morning. Um, this doesn't do that. Um, but this is for more This is more for people who want that proper smartwatch experience, but also want good fitness tracking as well. And that's it for another PocketLint podcast. We'll be back soon, so please join us then. In the meantime, please also rate us on the podcast platform of your choice and or let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter at PocketLint and Instagram at PocketLintCom. And don't forget to keep up with all the latest tech news, reviews and roundups on Pocket-Lint.com. I've been Rick Henderson and until next time, tatty bye. 